Pelotero Pickle episode 48. We have a special guest on today, Coach Courier from Fairfield University. We talk about their NCAA run. We get into some name image likeness stuff and we talk some home run derby at the end. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 48. It is Monday, July 12th. I'm here with Chris Colabello, and we have a special guest today, Coach Bill Courier, former UVM coach of my, of me, now at Fairfield University, and very excited to have him on today. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff with the, the college experience, their, the Fairfield's recent run to the NCAA tournament, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Chris, better, clarify, better clarify that uh, UVM is University of Vermont, Bobby. I don't know if they would know where you're from. Veritas Montes. It's uh, the Latin. Everybody asks me that. Why is it UVM? Why isn't it UVT? The Green Mountain State. Screen University of Green Mountains. Now we know. The Catamounts. Listen, I'm going to say two things. Number one, the state of Vermont is abbreviated VT, so that's weird. So why <laughs> would you be again? Number two, I don't think Bobby's been as excited for a podcast episode as this one, Coach, so this goes to show you where he's standing in his life. He's a little nervous about stories that I know about him, and he's afraid to be exposed, I think, Chris. That's all. <laughs> I'm going to get one out of the way right away. I'm going to say it. I'm not even going to let you say it. So, first of all, I'm very mad at Vermont UVM. I won't return any emails, phone calls. If they ask me for money, they're not getting it since they cut the program. Uh, just very mad at them. We'll always be mad at them unless they reinstate, and then they'll still be mad at them. Understandable. Understandable. So, my college process – I was, I was ready to go to Dartmouth if I got admitted, didn't get admitted, but on my trip there, I went to the school store, got some boxers that said Dartmouth on them. And coach Courier did a, a house visit during my, during the recruiting thing and bad move on my part. I was wearing them the day that he came to my house and he's like, so you're going to come to Vermont. And I was like, well, if I get into Dartmouth, I'm going to go to Dartmouth. And I like showed him that I was wearing, what a stupid move. That's like a classic idiot kid move show the coach oh yeah i'm gonna go to dartmouth but uh the education at dartmouth was most appealing to me but had a great experience at uvm um had an opportunity to play right away and had a great four years there but um yeah that was that's my story i got ahead of the story i'm glad i didn't walk out when you showed me those pulled out his boxes of course hanging out of his hanging out of his real shorts chris and you know i'm like oh oh that's nice you know uh, I know the coach there, he already told me you're getting denied, so I better stay here and stay on you because, uh, you know, I knew you had a chance to be pretty good. That's funny. Yeah, that was – so any uh, any prospective student-athletes listening, don't wear the boxer briefs of an opposing school when the coach shows up to your house. Can you I'm going to take it one further. How about just don't show the coach your underwear? Like, yeah, that's maybe, another, another move. Maybe just keep your underwear in your pants. Like yeah. That. It was just a waistband. It wasn't like – I get it. It's still weird. <laughs> yeah it's good to get that cleared out uh, I, I wouldn't tell i wouldn't i wouldn't tell that one but i'm glad you uh i feel confident enough bobby to to get that out there yeah i just want to get ahead of it um so can you take us through your your coaching history your, your playing history so you're from vermont from essex went to uvm drafted by the phillies T uh, tell me tell us a little bit about your, your pro career your pro experience because i don't i really yeah. don't know much about it yeah. Uh, Every time we let you take BP, you would hit more homers than everybody else. Uh, Jack Leggett was certainly the coach uh, there at Vermont for five years, and he recruited a pretty good class. We had 
Kirk McCaskill was a year behind me. Uh, Dan Gasparino was a first-team All-New England catcher, played with the Yankee minor leagues for a year or two. Um, Jeff Green, another guy from my high school, was drafted in the 17th round. I mean, within a couple of years, we had four or five guys drafted uh, off that Vermont program where they had no scholarships. So a lot of local talent, and which there is here and there in Vermont. I think this, uh, this Kellington kid is going to be a, a top 20 draft pick uh, coming up today. Uh, that UConn had signed to go there. But uh, so I, you know, got recruited there. I was thinking college hockey, actually. I was not thinking baseball. And he said, hey, you can come here and play Division One right away and this and that, and we've got a group of class coming in. You know, three years later, uh, I'm getting drafted in the sixth round by the Phillies, and it all came fast and furious late. I'm at the Cape, ready to start my first game at Hyannis, and uh, I get drafted. I fly to Boston, fly to Burlington, sign. And, uh, and played for the next three years in the minor league. So, um, you know, it, it, I only played uh, 18 games in high school. You know, I never knew my potential as a baseball player. And I was obviously big, played first base. The scouts put me in the outfield my junior year, told Leggett that uh, you got to get him in the outfield. He can throw and run, you're wasting him at first. So, um, so it was a good experience uh, realizing your potential and uh, uh, getting recognized that way in the national scene. So. But I really was like an 18-year-old when I was 21 as far as experience playing. So, um, And I did go right to A ball, not to rookie ball, which I think was a mistake probably. Um, I did have a pretty good first year but got behind a little bit and never got out of it. But uh, having patience, as we know as coaches, having patience and seeing a product that needs some work and just need to give them time and, and uh, skills and, and good coaching to get there is an important, important thing. And, and that – Whole experience certainly helped me in coaching, and now in my in my thirty thirty fourth year of Division One uh, coaching and thirty six overall, um, you know it's been a valuable lesson and valuable of, of knowing how to uh, see kids and knowing that some kids will uh, escalate pretty quickly up to talent uh, level to a higher level, and some that don't move, and some that never get better. So um, I think that's important to to see. So. You know, I got out of there, went right to grad school with Leggett, who was at Western Carolina at that time. And I was got my master's right away and then got to a junior college job at a Mitchell College in Connecticut. Um, was there for a couple of years as a soccer coach, baseball coach, taught five classes. One of those deals, you know, you got to get out of pretty quick if you're going to coach baseball. So uh, I got the head job at Vermont as a 27-year-old. Uh, I think I was the youngest head Division One coach in the country at the time. So, and it was there for 22 years till they uh, cut the program uh, in 09. So, um, and then I went to Tennessee as a one-year volunteer. Todd Raleigh, who was there, who was my ex-assistant uh, at Vermont and an ex-Vermonter also. And, uh, and then I uh, uh, got this head job uh, late summer of, of 2010. So, and I've been here now, uh, you know, 10th year as a head coach and as associate head coach the first year, so. Built a good program here uh, around uh, very bright kids. It's a good academic school, Jesuit Catholic uh, private school in Connecticut. So we've done well. And obviously this year was a culmination of, of getting the right kids and keeping them motivated in a very difficult year and making uh, uh, the most of it, of the schedule that was put before us. And the kids did a great job, uh, uh, better as they went. So 39 and five, uh, not too bad of a record. It's an outstanding season. I want to rewind just a little bit. I want to hear 
So you were at Vermont for 20 plus years, small budget, barely any scholarship dollars, and going to Tennessee. What was kind of, how did that shift your perspective or what did you learn the most going from small school to big school? And then how did you bring that back to Fairfield? Yeah, you know, that, that's really three schools that I mentioned, Vermont, Tennessee, and then Fairfield. You got three totally different schools, uh, really. You got a state school at the beginning with very little budget, very no scholarships. And, you know, it's finding the right kids. It's finding kids that get overlooked and then working like heck to get them, uh, you know, getting, getting them better and believing in themselves. Then I went to Tennessee and it's like, you know, everybody had been drafted or my, everybody's got an, uh, an agent or you know, handler. And uh, it was, it was something because my player of the year was a sophomore at Vermont, Matt Duffy, who was a, uh, you know, he was Pacific coast player of the year in triple a, and then played just one year with uh, Houston uh, for half a year, I think for Houston. Uh, he went also, he was there actually just a few months before me. So uh, we kind of went there together and I thought he was the best third baseman in the, in the SEC. You know, when he went there his junior year and he was ended up drafted the 20th round the next year, senior year. But, you know, I was very impressed with the talent level. Uh, it was sliders 80% of the time, it seemed like. Uh, the talent was was obviously a lot better, but Matt Duffy tells me all the time, he says, Coach, I would have much rather stayed at Vermont, had a great all-round experience with knowing other athletes, other student body, and having a great time. And still, I would have been a big fish in a small pond, and I would have probably been a higher draft pick uh, and had a much better college experience than just isolated as a baseball player. Got to know nobody else, and it was just about baseball, and that was it. And, you know, he's, of course, out of baseball now. But, um, you know, so there's something to giving an all-round experience to a kid to make sure that baseball is going to be what he wants to follow, but he's having a good all-round experience. And that's an important thing, I think, of any kid now because, as you guys know, the percentages, they're so small of somebody making it to the big leagues or sticking any length of time to make any money to put away or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting perspective of his – about that change of going from Vermont to Tennessee. And when I'm coaching there, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I mean, I didn't have to worry about budgets. I didn't have to worry about anything. I couldn't even, I, I was told that you don't need to bring your fungo onto the field coach. We got, we got equipment guys to do that. I'm like, what? I'm used to setting up stuff and taking in the balls and collecting them with the players and players don't touch anything. Coaches don't touch anything. They just walk onto the field and everything's all set up for them and taken down with the end of practice. So, you know, it was a phenomenal ex experience to go to the places and play in the stadiums and everything. But, you know, we were the third worst team in the SEC that year. We didn't get in a large bid uh, either. We were done at the end of the last game. So against Alabama, we played a three-game series, lost two, and we were done. So, uh, I think there's, what's I think, that? I think there's so much to be said for everything you just mentioned, right? And and some of the, the young athletes that I talk to now that are Division One guys, guys that I hit with, that I talk to all, uh, often, they kind of relate it to a job already, right? And I think the I look at the big Power Five schools, and and some of these guys are like losing their their love for the game, or just the fact that they get to remember that it's still a, a little boy's game when they're in college, because it's so it's so high level. Like I walked around the equipment room at BC, and they have you know anything that you could ask for. You need the Evo Show wristband. You need the 
you know, the shin guard, the whatever, like you have access to everything. And they're so like, I, I can't even see wanting to go from division one to the minor leagues at this point, because in the minors, you don't have access to all the stuff yeah. you have at one of the big power five. So that's, it's pretty crazy. Admit. You're so right. And it, it's, you know, we have a nice facility here, even at Fairfield, we've, we've got a new nice little stadium. We've got a big indoor hitting place. We've got a great locker room. We've got great weight rooms, everything. But it's like, at the end of the day, we're showing around two recruits today. And at the end of the day, you say, Hey, we got great facilities. We're going to take care of you. You're going to have all the opportunity you need to succeed academically and athletically. But we don't want you to come here because we have nice uniforms and nice facility. You know, we want you to come here because you feel comfortable here and you can work at your craft here and get a great education. You know, we don't want you to come here and be a pretty boy because you, you like our, our facilities and our gear and our, you know, if that's why you're coming here, we do not want you and you won't work out here. So you ought to look at some other school. You know, that's the way I, I end a lot of uh, recruiting visits and, and, and some kids We'll get turned off by that. And those are the kids you don't want. And we want the kids to say, no, coach, I want the great education. I want to get my ass kicked and I want to be good. And I want to be around good players. And, and, and we want to go to regionals and beyond. So that's what the kid, you know, we want that comes back with that reply. That's why I think it, it's a testament to what you built there because it reflected itself. It manifested itself in the way you guys played. Um, the one thing I said to Bobby when we were watching the game down there, and uh, it was so cool to, to be watching you guys play against Arizona State. And the, the, the traditional stuff that I see when I, at least, you know, in the last 10, 10 years ago maybe, but now it's, it's obviously progressing. But when I would watch a Northeast, uh, Northeast school play against a school like Arizona State or, you know, any of the, the big power fives from the Pac-12, from, you know, the Big Ten, well, not necessarily the Big Ten, but the SEC, is usually you get intimidated by the, the the name on the jersey, right? You get intimidated by by that school, and I think watching you guys, it was it was apparent that you were not intimidated by them. Uh, and and obviously getting down in game one of the regional to a school like Arizona State and saying, no, 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 we're okay. We're just going to keep playing the game and then climb back into it and putting yourself in a in a position to win the game late. You know, weren't if it weren't for a, a hit here or there, like you were in a position to get to. The, to one and all. So that yeah, I, I thought we were, we were we were up by two runs in the eighth inning with the same pitcher on the mound, Mike Sansone, the first game Friday, uh, Friday afternoon. We were, we were in the same position. And then on, on, on Sunday at one o'clock, we're playing them again. And we actually had Sansone on the mound, same score, two run lead. It was a three run lead. Then it went to a two run lead. And they had the same hitters up as Friday. And <laughs> I'm telling my assistants that I go, we're in the exact same situation. We were Friday night and our pitching coach who calls the game goes, and they got the same hitters up coach. <laughs> so it was interesting that we had the chance to win either game and we at least closed it out the last game. And, you know, our guys did a good job at that. You're right, Chris. They didn't get intimidated. And we, we schooled them on that too. It's like, don't, don't complain to the umpires. Don't, you're going to get screwed on anything. Pitchers, you're going to have a narrower plate. You're, you're going to have to get the guy swinging sometimes to strike him out, you know, uh, and that's just the way the umpiring was. It, it wasn't against us. It was just, you know, they knew who we were. They knew who Texas and Arizona state were, and it would be a lot better show if those two were in the finals, not us, you know, it'd be a little better show for ESPN. So um, it was interesting and our players did suck it up. They played hard. They didn't care. We were behind five, nothing the second game that we came back and won. So, um, and that was the pocket game where, you know, 
the guy umpire, you know, keeps everybody there and then thinks about it and huddles up and says, no, I'm going to move the guys up on their bases, which he had a choice to keep them there or move them up. And of course, you know, not something you go out and get kicked out of the game for, uh, certainly, but it's, you know, he had a choice. Let's, let's talk more about this whole NCAA run that you guys went on. You obviously had an awesome year. You have, you have one loss in the regular season? We had one, one loss in, in conference play. Yeah, and then got bounced in the conference tournament, needed an at-large bid to get in. I thought it was awesome that they, they did that. I was worried for a minute that, that they were going to pull the rug on you guys. But what was the experience like for, to go through the, the – the, the bid, the you guys saw the uh, the reaction of you guys. Yeah, there. as we as we know, at large bids don't come out of the Northeast very often. They might come out of a BC, they might come out of a St. John's or a UConn, but that's it. You know, we don't get at large or even considered for one. So we we got a lot of interest and a lot of people with eyes on us when we're twenty eight and zero, the only undefeated left in the country by a long shot, and we got a lot of interest right there. I know an ex-assistant of mine that's a Stetson coach right now, the AD at Stetson's the head of that at-large committee. So I would kind of call him and say, hey, what's going on? And he, yeah. <laughs> and he would he would say, my AD tells me every 10 minutes we start off our meetings is about Fairfield, about what if. You know, what if they don't win their tournament? What do we do if they're 36-2, and two, you know? And – they're number two RPI rating in the country, but they haven't played out of conference. How do we deal with that? So, you know, he would say, he would tell me the best thing for college baseball is for you guys to lose in the finals. And he said, don't take it the wrong way, Bill. But that's, that's what he told me. And, he, and then after we lost in the finals, I said, you jinxed us, you son of a gun, you know, you, you, uh, and now we got a tough decision to make. So it didn't seem to be too tough because we were a three seed, not a four seed. So uh, uh, we weren't the last consideration for by no means. So, uh, but we had so much interest early on with our undefeated streak so long. And then after we got beat, it kind of took a little bit eyes off us, but then uh, we were still only lost one the rest of the, the league play. And then uh, to get to the finals, I don't know, Bobby, answer your question. I don't know if we had been knocked out in the two, first two or three games. I don't know if we would have got the at-large, but getting to the finals and, the team that beat us, Ryder, was like a – I think they were a five-seed, four-seed. Everything was just working out for them, which good for them. Everything was working out. Everything they did was perfect. So uh, they had 14 hit home runs all year, and they hit five against Signor, our third, fourth starter. So, you know, it's crazy. Good for them. But if we hadn't got to the finals, it, it would have been a little more interesting, I think. Yeah. So, but, you know, we're still, as you could tell by the ESPN video, we're still pretty excited to get the at-large. Uh, because awesome. yeah. it never goes, it never goes to conferences like the Mac. It goes to the big guys. So the first time ever, there were two teams from the conference to be selected because yes, all, yeah, first at large, first at large ever taken out of the Mac, and uh, first time and at large other than maybe a UConn or BC, I think, taken from the Northeast. So uh, that was that was kind of cool, and uh, the guys were pretty excited, obviously, about that. So. But, you know, what it, what it did is it, it legitimized our season. Even getting to the finals of the regional, that's what I told our guys after. It legitimized your record. It legitimized all the big schools that were saying, well, they don't play at a conference, so you can't count them as a team that should be, you know, given the notoriety and the rankings uh, because they don't play anybody. And I understand that, you know, but that's the schedule that we had laid before us. Not like we could choose to 
uh, go play somebody else to, you know, to test ourselves. We just couldn't do it. You know, the conference wasn't allowing it. So, you know, to get in that large bid, you had to win 90%, 98% of your games or something stupid, you know. So it was, uh, it was what we got laid before us, and the guys did a tremendous job. And they, they really legitimized our, our team and our effort and our year by doing that well in the regional and eliminating uh, Arizona State, who we all know as older coaches, uh, not as old as me, but I remember Arizona State as they were the team. And then Arizona and some other big schools were the, were the teams, UCLA and those teams. So uh, it's, it's nice to have a, a little guy beat a giant like that. Yeah, so to that point, right? I, like normally, and this is, I meant to ask you this down in, in, in Texas. Was there, I mean, obviously, I, I think more often than not, you know, mid-major Northeast schools, right? Or your season is to win your conference championship and get to the regional. Was it almost more satisfying to lose in the conference tournament and have all these firsts happen and have a first you know, a first at large bid for the conference, a first at large bid for the school, and, and so many other cool things happened. Was it almost better that way? Um, as you look back on it, at large was was an amazing thing just to get one. But as you know, Chris, also, we don't go into any game thinking, geez, if we lose this, it'll be better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that that's not what I thought, and I, we weren't happy. We thought if any team was going to beat uh, this rider uh, in the finals, it was going to be us and – I thought we could beat them twice because we were ready to come back with our first starter the second game of that. And, and we, and, and Signor cruised through, I think four innings of just mowing them down. And we said, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to win this game and we're going to go to the next game and we're going to win the automatic bid. So, uh, and there was no guarantee at that time we were going to get the at large. So certainly we wanted to win the Mac outright wouldn't leave no doubt to go to the regional, but, uh, I think it was really good for college baseball. It was really good for uh, small schools, Northeast schools. Uh, I, I got a lot of Texas, a lot of uh, emails from fellow coaches uh, because I've been in the Northeast my whole career, just cheering for us because, you know, we were towing the road for the, for the towing the, 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 the deal here for all the coaches and all the programs that, you know, we don't get at largest. We don't get looked at. We don't even get taken seriously sometimes. So uh, that was uh, legitimized a lot of programs, not just ours, I think. Awesome. What impact has it had on the program so far in terms of recruiting, in terms of just has the program felt the impact of it already? Yeah, and certainly the NCA opened up recruiting June 1, and we were back six days later from the, from the regional and – it's awful nice going out recruiting and, and people know exactly who you are. You know, they know the success you had. All eyes were on us. If you were just an athletic fan, eyes were on us. Say nothing about baseball people or like you guys at least know somebody that coaches or plays or something. I mean, we had all eyes on us because we were a small team and we had achieved such a record that people were really watching and interested to see how we do uh, in our conference and then how we do it against the national uh, team. So, we collected a lot of interest. So when you go out recruiting now, it's, you know, it's huge on just people know who you are. You know, when you tell a recruit, it's, hey, we got most everybody back from this last team and we're looking for a couple transfers to piece our puzzle together. We could be very good this next year if the draft doesn't hurt us and we could, you know, have another good year. You want to be a part of this. I mean, they know who you are. They know what you did 
And you want me to be a piece of your puzzle to, you know, maybe do this again next year? Shit, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. You know, I'll come to grad school for a year and, and uh, join this this parade here. So, you know, it was a different recruiting uh, after we got back. And uh, it's certainly looking for the young kids, the juniors and sophomores right now. Uh, they know who you are. So it's made a big difference. Well, I'm, I'm pushing all the guys that I know that are like looking at ACC schools and power fives. I'm like, no, nah, I just go to Fairfield now. <laughs> boy, Chris. Attaboy. Hey, I'm, hey I'm, I'm working for you. I, I can be like your uh, quality control coach in the Northeast. That's okay. I, I had that role at Boston College for a few years now. Two, my two best friends, two of my best friends left there. So like now I'm open. I'm a, I'm a free agent. So I'm Fairfield all the way. Right. I just need like a shirt. I, I like like shirts and I know you guys are Nike. So that fits. That fits well. Make, make sure they're like Tewksbury now. Make sure they're not quite good enough to go to an Ivy League school, but they're pretty good students that can get into here. Okay. And, and make sure their underwear is either white or a, a solid color. Okay. <laughs> no Dartmouth underwear. Got you no go. Oh, you're on. You're on board. I like you already. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, so you've been coaching for a while in the college world. Technology's changed. The bats have changed. What have, What are the biggest adjustments? Are like even in the last five years? What are the biggest shifts that you've seen with players coming in with player development and the last question that our, our producer asked is, what are you looking for? What qualities are you looking for in hitters now compared to previously, if it's changed at all? You know, all us coaches talk about it on the road. And we say, it's just so hard to find hitters, legit hitters, guys that can barrel the ball, the ball jumps off their bat different, you know, better than the other kids you're looking at. It's so hard to find hitters nowadays, it seems like. Uh, it's easier to find a left-handed pitcher than it is a legit hitter that you think can help you his freshman year, you know? And it, it, it's the BB core bats that came in years ago, uh, you know, took the offense down a lot. And then my old mentor, Jack Leggett, got on the rampage about lowering the seam and making the seam, the minor league seam ball, so it'll carry a little more. So that brought it up another maybe 15% with a little bit more offense. But it's just hard finding hitters nowadays. I don't know. What it is, but uh, uh, you know, I don't know if they don't practice enough, or uh, they certainly get all the uh, technical advice they can they can ever uh, find because they're all paying a hundred hundred dollars an hour for lessons, and they got this guy and that guy all all giving them uh, advice, and you know, they come to your school and and they're smart enough here not to say, well, my coach from home said that, you know, that lasts about a half a second, so or or an older guy says. Don't tell coach that your other coach said that this should happen, you know, or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's been a big change. You know, I think it's uh, laid more uh, uh, skill, skill development or, or skills you're looking for, the speed. You know, I like to get kids that can run uh, because that puts pressure on the defense, of course, brings them to another level of timing that they might not be used to, and it creates errors. Uh, I, we like to really move up on balls in the dirt on our bases. We did that multiple, multiple times to opponents. We did it, and even in the tournament on turf, which is a little tougher to do. Uh, but we we uh, like the kids that, you know, if you can't find all the hitters, you look for the kids that can have potential to hit, a better swing path, uh, more weight room, uh, strength gaining, uh, those things. But they can run and they can play defense, you know, and then throwing a little further away. But the throw is nice too, but – uh, a good arm, but those are important things. They can play defense because that plays every day. 
They can pitch because pitching is always the most important thing. And you probably heard me say this before, Bobby, because I've said it for years, is pitching is by far the most important thing, and then defense and then hitting. As much as we all like to hit, and all three of us, hitters first, we'd say, probably the defensive guy. But it's the third most important thing. You're not going to come and hit every day. But pitch, you can pitch most every day, and you can play defense at a high percentage uh, of also every game. And that's going to keep you right in games. And the close games that we won this year, or won them in the bottom of the last inning, was was four or five times this year. And it's because we pitched better than them late. We got some clutch hits, might have been lucky, but we at least put ourselves in that position to win the game. And pitching and defense did that, you know. So that's the important thing. And I think if you follow that type of thinking, I think you're going to be in games, and, and that's the type of team we built here at Fairfield. And we hit better than we have lately uh, in the last three or four years But as a team. But the most important thing by far was just pitching and defense. We played solid the whole year in those two categories. Sounds like an eerily similar formula to what people used to tell me growing up and over the course of probably the last 100 years is pitch and play D and then you just figure out how to score runs. And I think that's honestly in following you guys, like I started following probably earlier than most because obviously, I, you know, through my connection with Bobby to you and haven't met you before. And um, I actually have a kid who's in the, in the Mac at Quinnipiac. We, we have a guy that we know. And uh, so I was paying attention. I'm like, they just don't lose. And I'm thinking you're, you know, you're buggy whipping everybody. But instead it was, you know, you were, you were finding ways to win games late, which is even more of a testament to the program and to the culture and to what the kids were capable of. Because now you do it once and you start to, okay, we can do this again. And then you just start to believe before you know it. And then I think that's how it becomes repeatable. But it, you just said it, like pitch and play defense, and then we'll just figure out how to score more points than the other team. It's I don't yep. think the formula's changed much. I think it's, you know, we've, we've got some stuff in our in our society now that's trying to make us believe otherwise. That, I might be wrong, but. And, and to be to be honest, Arizona State, I mean, they were phenomenal defensively, and they could swing it. They swung it, we thought, better than Texas. And and they had proved it in their numbers uh, that year, but they, they just didn't pitch, you know. And so the most important thing, they had a couple injuries in their starters, and it – it, it thinned out their 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 whole pitching staff, so uh, that's what they didn't do, and that well, hurt them certainly. But boy, they could swing it, and they were so athletic on defense. But you know what? Our guys wanted it bad, and our guys were working their tails off in the seventh and eighth inning. You know, I'm looking over their infield from coaching third, and they're talking to each other like it's a midseason midweek game. You know, it, it, it was like no urgency, no. And I'm thinking. Either they think they're they know they're going to come back, come back, or keep the lead and win, and they just know it's going to happen and they're cocky, or they just don't care. And I don't know which way it went, but uh, which what they were thinking. But our guys are man zeroed in, and we're going to fucking come back and win this game. We're going to be after it, you know. We're going to be, you know. <laughs> you got you guys. I mean, you guys were there. I mean, you. Our guys were laser focused. That and, was the way it, the we're way gonna win this game. That was the way it looked. When yeah. when the kid hit the in the first game when the kid you lead off homer, I, as soon as as soon as he came up and when he hit it, I said he got him. And I, I could just yeah. tell like the attitude in both dugouts was completely different, right? Yeah. And even to your point, as it got late, they just kind of were like, ah, whatever. And you know, even listening to the parents in the stands, like we were sitting next to a couple of parents, 
and that you could tell they were starting to get like a little bit panicky and getting pissed at the umpire and shit. And I'm like, uh, like your kids just kind of whatever. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's what happens. But I, I was so, so impressed, proud, uh, fanboy, whatever you want to call me. I was, I was fully on the wagon. I'm going to stay on it now. All right. Good. I'm in on we're, look, we're looking for a right-handed hitting outfielder, another, another middle infielder, <laughs> and always left-handed pitchers. <laughs> Write that down, Chris. There you go. I've got my notes. i got my notes. So we, we tend to be a little hitting heavy with our stuff. I want to dig into more of the qualities that you look for. Like, if you look at a successful college hitter, what qualities do they have? Like, what, what makes them stand out? What's, what makes them good? When my assistants or I go out and we are talking all the time, we're comparing things. And what I ask them when I don't see the kid that they see, you know, and they don't see maybe the kid I saw, or maybe I'm cross-checking them. So I'm saying, but things I ask them when I want to know about the hitter, one, who's he look like on our team? Who's he hit like? So at least all three of us know that, uh, what he's talking about. And how is his selection? What is his selection? Did he see spin? Because we've all had kids on our guys on our teams that they crush it in BP and they crush a fastball, but as soon as you know he can't hit spin, that's what he's going to get 85% of the time. And if he can't recognize it as a 17-year-old or 16-year-old, many times he can't recognize it as a 25-year-old. You know, they're just he just doesn't see it as as much. Some get a little better at it, but some don't. Many too many don't get much better at it. And so I want to see uh, certainly his swing path and all that. I want to see his bat speed. I want to see, but I want to see those mental things that you can't teach or it's difficult to teach is, is selection. Can he recognize, recognizing uh, off-speed pitches? Can he see that? Because if he's a big power hitter and stuff, <laughs> he's going to see a bunch of off-speed pitches. You know, our first baseman this year is a transfer from, uh, Union College, Sean Cullen, and and he was going to hit four hole for us. And this kid, phenomenal first baseman, he's all time hits leader there. I think too short of it, but it was a COVID year and he played four games, so he would have crushed the record. So we could see him on video, and the coach said he could definitely hit in the middle of any Division One lineup. So we get the kid. He goes to grad school for one year, but the kid sees off speed, and that's what he saw seventy percent of the time. But the kid couldn't hit a fastball. But all he saw is off-speed pitches because he's huge, he's a big kid, and he's a four-hole hitter. So we got to throw him off-speed pitches, right? Yeah. And the kid, rip, rip. You know, and they didn't figure it out till about halfway through the year. He started seeing a lot more fastballs, and he was taking the fastball a lot. And it was funny because it's like you're a big bastard, and they want to throw you off-speed stuff because that's the way people do it. Hey, Dante, Dante Bichette told us a story about Andres Galarraga. Same thing. Andres Galarraga couldn't hit a fastball to save his soul. This guy got like 400 homers in the show. So, like, I mean, he figured out. They told him, he said, in that, those Colorado teams, they said, hey, big cat, like, just open up your stance and make it look like you can hit fastballs in. And he'd go, okay, Poppy. And then he hit like 52 homers that year or something like that. Because they just kept – the ball he hit he, – Galarraga still has that ball at, uh, at the old Marlins Park down in, in Florida that went like – on the second set of turf uh, carbon seeds so yeah something right just hey make it look like you can that that's in and of itself that's just like part of the part yeah. of the game of chess right you gotta make them believe something yeah now now with all the college teams with 80 percent of them have synergy now 
you know, they just research it before the game and they, you know, they figure it out. But it, it took half a year for them to figure out that, geez, he doesn't hit fastballs that well. Unless he, you know, and then we're trying to get him, hey, cheat. you got to cheat on it. you got to look for it and be on time with it. After he fouls five foul balls over your first base dugout, you know, it's like then they throw him a curveball and he rips it over the fence or up the middle or something. It's like, thank you. Yeah, I, that, that same thing happened to me like I, I in AAA the year I was, I was I'm like winning the MVP in AAA and they're just trying to thumb and then I go to the big leagues and they're like nah here hit this and I was like whoa what is that a fastball down the middle for strike one I was like come on guys it's too easy but then I hit yeah. 194 my first year so. <clears throat> so you know to answer your question Bobby it's exactly you're looking for the things you can't change you know the things that are difficult to change I should say you know and uh you know, because you go see a kid one time and he, he doesn't barrel a, a ball or two at his level. And you kind of, eh, but you see the kid twice and he might hit one ball hard, but the kid's got a great average. So you got to kind of put that in perspective. That's why a hitter, you got to see four or five games. And, you know, in the NCAA, you're only supposed to see him four times, you know, evaluation. So you got to make a quick study on them. And I think those things that you find that you can't change easily or they're the most difficult to change. The kid's got to have that already in his, in his queue. You know, he's got to have it in his skills segment. So those are the things that I do to, to try to find and, and a kid that likes to compete, you know, it's tough to find kids now that really want to compete. They play 150 games a year, all the, you know, you ask an AAU kid, you ask an AAU kid, how, how'd the game go? Well, I got two hits. Well, did you win? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't know. All he knows, he got two, three hits, you know, so you got a little selfishness playing into that. So you like kids that say, you know, yeah, coach, we won. And you got to draw out of him how many hits he got because he cares more about the team. So finding those kids are, are, are tough to find nowadays that just are walk in the door as a team player and will sacrifice late innings for you and get the thing down because, you know, these AU kids, they never bunt, you know, they, it just the small, the base running, the bunting, it's part of the game that's lost. So, you know, you like to have these guys that give themselves up, move people, move runners up uh, second with no outs or get the job done for the team and not just going to hurt my average coach if I go do that. You know? So these are important things that you look at in the college player because, you know, I, the kid's a draftable kid. I don't, I'd rather take a college kid that will never be drafted but will give you his heart and soul. Awesome. In so, terms of uh, in terms of hitter, I guess athleticism. How much do you rely on the strength department and the strength coaches to say you get a kid that has the compete, has the bat to ball, has the strike zone awareness, has the spin recognition? His bat speed's not there. Strength's not there. Yeah. Is that? I mean, I imagine that's just evaluating that kid and saying, hey, he might not be ready for two years, but he might be a good fit for the program. And that's and that's a lot of kids we get at our level. You know, if the kid's got four tools, we're not getting them. You know, he's already picked off his sophomore year. You know, so we're getting that junior uh, commit that is, you know, still weak. Uh, he just that's why the bigger schools aren't on him. So if we can get our, our we have tremendous strength coaches here. They do a great job. We got a brand new uh, two-year-old weight room, which has got a nutrition center in it. It's phenomenal. If you see it online, it's awesome. And we have two full-time strength coaches that do a great job with our guys. And it makes a huge difference. If, if, if we can shorten up that swing and make them shorter and quicker and catch up to that 
better fastball. They're going to see in Division One, uh, and they're already a good defensive player. Got the right makeup. We talked about. Boy, if they can strengthen up and, and get a little more confidence in, in that box with a shorter swing, better path, make barrel contact more often. I mean, all of a sudden the guy's a lot more tool player, and maybe could play at a bigger, better school. But he's a tremendous player here, and that's the kid we're looking for. So. To answer your question, that strength level is is a huge thing that if we, you know, get them going before they get here, but get them going soon after, then by the second year, they're just not a defensive replacement. And you lose a kid to graduation or, or a draft or something, that kid's ready to go. So we're, we're improving our depth every year. Uh, we feel like we have now kids that can jump in in any different segment of the game. And uh, we don't drop, have a, such a drop-off. If a kid goes down by injury or, or, or the draft and you're not, you know, it's hard for us to fill in a kid that gets drafted. You know, our shortstop right now is probably the, the best chance to be drafted in this short, short round draft of 20, 20 rounds. And, you know, if we lose them, it's hard to replace a kid like that. You know, it's hard to replace them with a kid that maybe two years younger or a year younger, just not as good. So uh, that's an important, it's a, it's a bigger blow for us where, Power five schools, you know, conferences, they know they're going to lose kids. They, they have a lot of their kids for three years or two years in a COVID year. So uh, they know they're going to have to rebuild. So they're spending their money by the time they're a sophomore. What, so what does that look like for you guys? Are you mostly looking at juniors? Are, are you, is your process kind of starting with the junior after you've kind of weeded out those verbals to, to, to the big power fives? Or is it similar in the sense that you might attack a kid when he's a sophomore and you know, really say, hey, we're, we're, we're really interested. We're, we're trying to get kids, uh, you know, if they can, if we can get them uh, committed to us their junior year, that's about where we're at right there. You get the BCs and the Yukons in our area and St. John's, you get a lot of their commitments maybe sophomore year. Um, you know, you get them really early. They, they have huge uh, prospect days. You get 100 kids at it, and you get every sophomore that can throw the ball over 85 going to them you know, in, in the Northeast. So they get the first look at them. We have a prospect day and we might have 25, 30 kids, you know, and you're looking at however number, but it's a sm smaller percentage and the ability to find that really diamond in the rough of that skilled kid in 25 is going to be a lot less than hundred. So they get an early look at them and they're such a big school. They can, you know, get all the big promises. You might be drafted here. You're going to fly all over the country. You're going to play this big schedule. And by the way, you might go to school once in a while. Yeah, and you might never pitch either or play. And you might be number 25 on their pitching staff or number three at their shortstop. So here we're going to use you're going to be number two your first year, but you're going to get a chance because there's other kids graduate. So, you know, so it's a shorter, uh, 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 shorter time to give their opportunity at a place like us. So that's what we're trying to get these kids understanding when they're a sophomore or junior. Uh, that you want to play, you want to play quicker and a better chance to play, we're the place for you. Um, if you want to not know if you're going to play, when you're going to play and, and things. And what's throwing that out of, to be honest, you know, the, everybody gets another year now. So how many kids are you going to have come back for a fifth year? And how many kids are you going to get transfer in for their fifth year? So this could log jam a little bit of those kids that are coming up through. So what we've done here at Fairfield, is we're lowering the number of kids that are coming in the freshman class because we think we're going to retain maybe three fifth-year kids out of the senior class. So instead of going after uh, nine to 11 recruits a year as a freshman, 
we're after maybe five or six. So we're not overloading our team, and we're trying to stay in the 35 to 40 range. Pretty soon, in three or four years, the NCAA is going to bring us back down to 35 roster limit. So uh, I like a smaller roster. Uh, it, it gives everybody an opportunity to play a little bit more than, than, than I mean, I know a friend of mine that coaches down south had 52 on his roster. I think that was Crazy. similar to some other, a lot of other big schools. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. Crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. And I think that was part of, you know, I ended up at Assumption, which, you know, it was what it was at the time. I wasn't very good in high school. So, um, but I, I just remember as a kid, I, I wanted to go somewhere where I had an opportunity to play. And yep. Assumption told me that that was going to be real. I wanted to play as a freshman and, I mean, look, it all ended up working out for me, but I, I think I see some of these situations now where the rosters are getting so big. I can't imagine not dressing or not traveling as a freshman just because, yeah. you know. Yeah. That, like, I, and, I in this, in this transfer role now, I mean, Chris, you imagine you at Assumption, you're lighting it up now your sophomore or junior year, and you can transfer to a Division One and not sit out, yeah. you know, or Division One to Division One. If Bobby went to his dream school of Dartmouth, he could have transferred there right away, you know, without even a sit-out year. I mean, that, that the NCAA needs to stop that because we've had numerous kids in our conference picked off by the Power 5 schools or the, the next-level school because kids, oh, I, I don't like our field. I don't like the work. You know, we don't have a lot of talent on my team. I'm the best player, the best pitcher, and they're getting picked off because they're going on the transfer portal and they're getting picked off. That, that has to stop. Or else the mid majors are just going to get. We're going to be the recruiting grounds for the Power Fives just to pick a kid off. It, it's that, uh, there's so many stop. so many unintended consequences by like the rule changes that they make, and you know obviously from the perspective of uh, of the transfer portal, like it's becoming so easy to transfer, right? I, I hear so many guys that are that are just going in and oh uh, yeah, I'm just going to leave. I'm just uh, transferring, transferring D one to D one, and obviously COVID threw a wrench in everything and. You wanted players to be able to have an opportunity, but man, it, it's a it's a hairy world out there. I, I, yeah, I mean, what's happening is we're going back to 20 years ago when they used to send the uh, volunteer assistant to the Cape, and he would just recruit the smaller schools' best players and bring them back to the you know SEC, ACC, Pac-10, bring them back to that. And we're getting back to that now because they wanted to push the the bigger schools wanted to push the the date to to uh, uh, through July of of uh, you know, not having to sit out a year. It's July 1st right now. They had to be on the portal before it or they uh, would have to sit out a year. So they wanted to push that back for that reason. Give more time to see our guys play in the NECBL or the Cape or something and, and, and <laughs> do more time to evaluate them so they get the right kid off the portal. You know, or hopefully not, but talk to them illegally and, and, and get them to go. So well, I had that experience myself too. This was 20 years ago now, almost. Uh, but like, I, I went to the NECBL, and we were going through a coaching change at Assumption going into my senior year. And I, there were a lot of—I won't name any names—but there were a lot of people knocking down the door because I was just coming off a, you know, borderline conference player of the year. year yeah. Maybe I should have just gone to UVM. We would have been. Could I have played there? Uh, you know, by your third, maybe your second year, Bobby. You think you could have played and helped us a little bit? We had a we had a guy named Barry Chamberlain that played it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he, he, he hit too. 
you could have made me an outfielder sooner. The, you know how you were saying before you went to the outfield because you could run and throw? Yep. I couldn't do either one of those things. They just put me in the outfield anyway because I could hit. So we, I actually we, would have had a tough we, time cracking that lineup. We, we might have put you in left field, you know, probably a little further down the order, maybe seven, Bobby. I think seven we could have. Yeah, that's fine. Huh? That's, I would have got, got all my heaters. fastballs then. Yeah, I would have got all my would have got all my heaters. That was perfect. As long as yeah. I didn't have to face Merchant and, uh, and live VPs throwing. That's balls. right. Merch, Merch would have thrown you that good snapper breaking ball, and yeah, it would have yeah. locked you up. Chris played with uh, Derek Miller for the, with the Mill Seed All-Americans, too. So he's got some – he knows the Vermont way. We, we did have yeah, some pictures. Derek Miller came yeah. to the NECB last we had some good pitchers, you know. Bobby, of course, had a lot of competition with Ray Montanez, so Ray, you know, kept him on the bench for a little while, but about one practice. <laughs> Ray pops up on my Facebook feed every once in a while. I still keep in touch with him a little bit. That's good. That's good. A lot of guys. He was a, he was a heck of a second baseman. I ended up being a pretty decent shortstop, too. How about that? That's funny. I had one more question about the recruiting stuff before we yeah. – um, what is your most reliable source for players? There's there's showcases, there's camps on campus, there's the social media thing, perfect game events. Like parents are just throwing money at events without really knowing the best way to invest in it or make, you know, they, they just, there's so many ways to spend money to try to get exposure. Nobody knows what they're doing. What's your, like, what are you, do you it have is, a sense like going on flat ground on Twitter? That's a great, great question because us division one coaches get pounded by all those things you just mentioned all the time. And one you forgot was alumni, alumni emailing you saying, Hey, this kid in my hometown can really play. And, you know, he's, he's a kid I think would fit in great at Fairfield, you know, which is great to hear from all those sources, but qualifying them is so important. You know, what's, what source are they coming from? What experience have they had and how much they know your program uh, is two different things. You know, they know the kid He's maybe their neighbor or their player that plays for him, but that coach doesn't know our program. He doesn't know our talent level. He doesn't know even our position of availability or that, and they're making these calls. So we have to sift through all that. And you can't discount it as I'm never going to listen to this type of source. You have to take it all in. Example this, our first baseman, the Cullen kid I mentioned earlier, I got a text at 10.30 at night from an alum that is one of our board members of our alumni group that really helps support our program. And he said, a guy, a neighbor down the street as a kid that's at Union, he's an, almost an all-time hit leader there, and he's looking to go to a Division One school one year. 10.30 at night text. Well, I get back to him and said, I'll check him out tomorrow morning. I get on his site, see that it's legit. He hit like 403 years in a row at Union. Um, he's a first baseman, which we're looking for. Uh, but the kid stole 14 bases. Uh, he's 6'3", 220. I mean, he's he's a big kid that can run. Uh, and then I call their, their head coach at Union and talk to him about the kid, raves about him. He said he's got a competitive edge that's off the charts. And so this kid, and the next day I call him, the kid applies, he's admitted this all happened in three days. Off a tip from an alum that was a neighbor of a kid from – they went to Union, Division Three kid. So most 1030 Texas talking to you about a Division Three kid, you usually just turn your phone over and plug it in and go to bed, you know? So, you know, this is the way that came about. So uh, you never know what's going to turn over as roses, but 90% of them don't. 
don't aren't aren't the right call. So you just got to investigate it more. Uh, there's a lot more video out there on kids that you can ever see now. So that's a good thing. And last year we all became you know experts in video analysis ourselves because that's all we could do. So now it's it's <clears throat> learning about the kids' makeup, the you know things that you can't tell from a video. You know so. Uh, that's the best thing about watching a kid play, watching him, how he deals with his teammates, how he deals with his coach. When you take him out as a kid, freaking throwing his glove in the dugout and look all, you know, all pissy and, and selfish. So you, you find out way more about a kid watching him. But um, all these different avenues of recruiting, you got to utilize them all. And it certainly helps to have the notoriety we just got and stuff to at least – you know, before it's, you know, we wouldn't hear from an AAU coach unless he was a second tier level player. You know, he would send all those to the bigger schools in the Northeast. Yeah, I'll tell you about another one, coach. You know, this kid can really help you. It's like, what do you mean you? You mean, you mean a second tier down school? You mean? Yeah, he's a real good student and you really like the kid. He's a great kid. You know, that's usually the telltale, certainly like kid isn't that good, but he's a great kid. I love the kid and you'd be a great school for him. So hopefully we're getting the first call instead of the second call. Heck yeah, yeah. let's go. Yeah, yeah, let's that's go. Right. Yeah. So you know, recruiting, uh, you know, you're limited a little bit because we are the MAC conference. So it's a very good conference, but it's certainly not the uh, ACC or or, or, or or that which is going to play uh, some big schools. So, but it's it's a great conference for playing good competitive baseball, not traveling that far, which Bobby at Vermont, we were on a bus. I felt like for 22 years, I was on a bus half my life. You know, everything is far, far away. Here, we're right in the middle of most of the schools in the MAC, except for a Buffalo school or two, you know. So it's a two-hour trip. The midweek is cake. I mean, we got Yale and, and, and Sacred Heart. We got St. John's and Stony Brook and everybody within an hour from us, you know. So it's close by, so. You're not on a bus. You're not traveling, which, as you know, is phenomenal. Play a lot more baseball with a lot less travel and be back at campus at 6 at night. That's phenomenal. So, The idea of traveling used to be sexy and cool. And yeah. then once you do it a lot, you just go. And flights. I mean, buses are bad enough, but flights, you know, flight travel is, is not fun. You know, especially with you got 40, 45, 50 man crew going through a security check. And I mean, it's just ugly. So. You know, so I, we like that situation for us here for those uh, convenient things that can allow you to do what you like to do, not more time spending what you don't like to do. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's move on. Big news in the college world was the name, image, likeness stuff that's going on right now. I haven't read too much into it, but I know it's opened up. There's kids signing deals. Everybody's on Instagram saying, oh, I'm an athlete of this program and this program, and everybody's trying to make grabs at athletes right now. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how the big schools, like the power five school, the top tier players from a brand recognition standpoint are the, the ones that are going to get the most financial benefit out of it. How do you see this impacting the game in general? And is it going to be a, a factor at Fairfield? I don't think it's going to be a big factor here. Uh, we might have kids getting two, 300 bucks here and there for, for some local where they grew up or where their hometown is, uh, some sponsor there, but 
you know, it's not like they're going to be uh, showing the Fairfield F off or anything like that, which not legal. So, or, or in our uniform and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to make a bigger impact, certainly at those power five schools that, um, you know, we talked about before we went on the air here is, uh, you know, these schools that are getting all this notoriety in the world series and, and uh, the big schools that have been there uh, and their name is like a, a, a like a five-year big leaguer. Now, some of these guys that got so much notoriety, uh, you know, they could, they could really change the whole landscape of, of making money as an athlete through your name. Uh, so I can see a bigger change there. I don't see a, a, a real big change at, at my level uh, here at this level, but you never know. It's brand new. It just started. Baseball just started in June and everybody else in July. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be real interesting to follow and, you know, making sure your kids follow the rules so they don't do anything illegal. It's going to jeopardize any, uh, uh any uh, eligibility for them. So it's going to be interesting. Our compliance people are a little nervous about it too. They're right on top of it and trying to learn as they go. So she's talked to our compliance person here, uh, has talked to our team about it, and uh, uh, they'll keep informing them as they go and make sure that they talk through your compliance people before you sign anything or do anything. So that's the safest information you can give a kid. I was going to ask if the school was doing anything for the athletes because it's kind of a uh wild west out there <laughs> just it is they're sending they're sending the rules out as they get them they're sending the rules out to make sure they're following them uh but we've only had a couple kids even in really uh, uh mention it or or, or look out to look look to uh, uh uh use their name and get it out there and getting sponsors i think so we'll see how it goes it's going to be interesting but i i can't see it making a, a huge impact at our level it's so interesting to me. I, I, I've been trying to put myself back in you know, 2002, 2003 as a college player. Wish I had a, a couple more dollars in my bank account. Just, you know, buy some batting gloves or get a new glove, you know, yeah. or something. And it's interesting to me, like the the impact on a guy like Lighter or Rocker from Vanderbilt versus a small school where maybe you're just trying to put some money in your pocket. You take a girl yeah. on a date or something. It's it's interesting, and I'm curious. I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out with just the, the the personal branding element of it, and how that's going to play with a team. Because now kids are you know they want to be they want clout on Instagram. They they're doing bat flips in games for Instagram for the highlight, not because they're trying to. Yeah. Win. It's yeah. Then they're getting then about. they're getting then they're getting drilled the next time up and wonder if it's really worth it. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing I worry about, right? Uh, I would have definitely, as a college athlete, signed a deal with any place that served buffalo chicken and that had really good iced coffee. Those were like my two things that I really, really <laughs> want. I would have been like, hey, you need me to sponsor you? Cool. Give me free buffalo chicken for life and we're good. But the thing that I worry about the most with, with all of this is, right, there's, so, there's something so pure about college baseball, right? And, and I think that's what people are starting to recognize now as like, the information age just kind of opened itself up. Uh, you know, if 20 years ago, even Stony Brook made a run at the College World Series, I think it was probably 10 years ago now, just about. I think it was 09, when was it, 11? 11 or 12, 11 or 12. And, and like, that really didn't get, like, a ton of attention. I know there were people that watched what Fairfield did this year, and obviously the, the – the fact that you guys went were undefeated as long as you were and had something to do with it. But I know 
people are, are paying more attention to the game. And I think that's like, I love where college baseball is trending. The thing that I get scared of is like, you take that like pure element of it's, it's winning in college baseball, right? The experiences you remember are the winning, the experiences you remember are your teammates. And like, look, at the end of the day, like everybody's trying to get to the show and everybody's trying to get drafted and play at the next level. And I think that's good. I think that's apparent and, and, and fine with all players. You should want to be good. You should want to be the best player on your team, but there's something special about college baseball, about winning being the most important thing. And I, the only thing I fear is that the, that the, the NIL stuff will just allow guys to start thinking a little bit more about themselves a little bit sooner. But I, I guess like anything else, like the responsibility remains on the coach's shoulders. So now you just got one more thing to worry about coach. You just got one more thing you got to look out for, you know, it's uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm scared of that. And I don't, I hope it doesn't happen because I love the purity of college baseball. So, and I love watching Fairfield make runs at, uh, at Arizona state and Texas and like, get out of my way, big boys. Cause here I come. I think I, th I would love to see teams doing, you know, like in uh, major league when they're doing the commercial where Willie Mays Hayes slides in and like, <laughs> I would love to see teams banding together to get deals. I know the, the university of Miami football, they're all the players are getting like six grand from some MMA gym. MMA gym. So. Yeah. I've, most of the stuff I've read though, is it's, there's guys pulling together and rooting for each other. They know in the football world, they know the quarterback's going to get the most play, the, you know, the, the skill positions get the most attention in, uh, and publicity so they know that it's like if you don't like it play better i guess right yeah it's it is going to be interesting you're right it's going to be you know those 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 starting pitchers the catcher that's you know is is going to be seen a lot you know the, those positions they may go after so it'll be interesting the way they the way how far it comes down and and who it you know who it uh, really starts to help or affect or or jeopardize it could be all three of those things like you said, do you, think it could affect, do you think it could affect any recruiting where let's say a school like Vanderbilt who has the player development that they have, they've got that pitching lab, really yeah. nice facilities where they could say, Hey, we've got a system for your NIL in place. So, you know, you're going to make, you can make more money playing at Vanderbilt, getting their player development, getting their food, getting their training. And you make more money than you would get in the minor leagues. I, I hope not. I hope it's, I hope it's not that easy for them, but it, it is something to think about and worry about uh, that these schools will have sponsors almost set up if you're coming here to turn money toward these kids and uh, before they even arrive on campus or certainly in the recruiting process, which will be even worse. So there's no, there's no cap on it, right? There's no cap on how much a kid can make. I, I don't, I don't think there is right now. I mean, we're just brought aware of this like a month ago. So it's, like, it'll, it'll start getting scary when a kid's making more than yeah, yeah. It's really scary because I mean, they see, you see in the big leagues, right? Like, guys are making way more than the coaches. So, yep. at the end of the day, how much authority do the coaches have over the players in the big leagues? And I, again, that's part of the purity of like amateur sports and youth baseball. And um, you know, sorry, my mom's calling. Um, <laughs> that that's part of what I. That's the only thing I, I just get worried about. It's like what, like at a young age, you don't you don't necessarily know how to handle like the hierarchy of it and like not thinking that you're bigger than it all. So we'll see. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting <clears throat> situation. That's, that's, yeah. it's, I, I can't imagine a school like you know, the big time schools not having something in place for players. It's almost like the, it's just 
the it's the traditional duffel bag of money. It's just this is above board now. Yeah, yeah, and it'll probably be you know the group that leaves the school, the new group coming in that's committed will probably take over those sponsors. It'll be like apartments, you know, the new group coming in takes over apartments, you know, of the group going out. If the landlord likes you, you're gonna you're gonna get that same apartment for the next crew of kids. It's like sponsorships. Yeah. It could be just a, <laughs> a turnover, which for the recruiting world, that'll be that'd be unbelievable to have that set up. Well, think about it like a LSU football. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but if they have a channel in place where boosters, instead of giving boosters to some, you know, closed door, sketchy situation, they can yep. just they can just get players under contract, give them pay them three hundred grand a year. It's scary. It's scary the door this is opening. It really is. It's scary that from boosters to to companies and stuff, oh, it could be a, a nightmare. And it's already a nightmare for the NCAA, who's losing control already. And, and you know, football, as we know, pretty soon is probably not even going to be an NCAA-regulated game. So, you know, I uh... hate to see baseball go down that street. But like you said, Chris, it's taken away the – the, the purity of the game and, and the essence of why kids are playing. And, but when the kids need money and it's out there, they're not going to, they're not going to say no, that's for sure. And Bobby, if you were now 18, 17 years old, you knew what you knew now about doing this type of thing. I mean, I know you'd be all over it. I, I'd have to uh, reschedule practice because you'd be, uh, you know, on the internet looking for sponsors and talking to, you know, you definitely would have found your way to the bench, I'm sure. It's it's tough not to – I mean, you can't blame the players for it. It's an opportunity that's just sitting there for you. Yeah. It, it can't be the it can't be the, the low-hanging fruit, though, right? The low-hanging fruit still has to be the education, the opportunity to play the game. And I yep. think that's, it's important now for role models, mentors, parents to remind their kids of what – what, what what they're actually chasing because they're yeah. and it's I guess it's the same thing with the societal stuff now where are you chasing Instagram fame or are you chasing are you chasing yeah. how about that but dad but dad I could make 300 a month just doing this on the side but think about that the dad of the eight-year-old who's building his social media profile so that he's got clout when he's in, in college yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna yeah. happen well, all right we got some quick hits these are just <clears throat> Quick topics. First one, Daniel Camarena. First hit in the big leagues. He's a pitcher. Grand slam. Relief home. pitcher. Yeah, relief. relief pitcher. First hit. First homer. It's a grand slam off Max Scherzer. Is there a more improbable first hit in the big leagues? It's wild. This is Daniel Nava, except you're a relief pitcher. Yeah. First pitch. It was a two-strike. Two-strike down and in. This is like the definition of blackout swing. Had no idea what happened. Just stuck the bat down, hit homer. Yeah, you guessed right. The pitch was where it was supposed to be. Other than the bullpen catcher, I, I think that is the most unprobable. Yeah, that's the stars <laughs> in alignment right there. Because you're yeah. not even supposed to get an at bat. You're a relief pitcher. You <laughs> maybe get an at bat every three years. <clears throat> how many? I don't even know how many. Well, I'll have to get on Twitter and ask this. How many relief pitchers even get at bats in a year? And to hit a homer off Scherzer. Yeah. Saw a young winner to hit it off him. I mean, come on. There's only four guys that have ever hit it. Did you hear Orsillo's reaction? Orsillo's got the the broadcast up there. It was ridiculous. I've never heard Orsillo get – like, Orsillo gets animated when he sits him. He was, like – it's just sheer shock. The whole whole stadium was pretty out of control. It was cool. Orsillo makes fantastic calls. He's 
one of my favorite. Good move by him going to San Diego, just chilling out there versus Boston. Come on, come on. We hate to lose him. Yeah. Hey, San Diego is really nice. Next question. Next, Next question. question. Ronald Acuna, just ACL is gone. Just absolute, tear, just full tear of the ACL. Uh, it's just sad. Sad for the game. He's such a talented player. He's a guy I would want to see play live. There's there's a handful of guys like Acuna, Tatis Jr., <clears throat> Vlad Jr., Shohei. It happens. Like he's it's part of the game. game. Part of the game. It happens. He'll come back next year, be stronger than ever. He'll be back after it. Who's your favorite major league player right now, Coach? Now that Pedroia's retired. That's a compelling answer, but keep going. Yeah, yeah. But guys guys like that, you know. Um, David Fletcher, he's a scrappy little guy. I don't have to be little here, too. Just scrappy and play the game the right way. And it's tough for finding those guys now. Yes. Fletcher's on like a 25-game hitting streak right now, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like uh, you know, um, you know, watching, you know, Bryce Harper. You know, I just couldn't warm up to him. I just, I just, it wasn't my error. The type of deal he puts out, you know. But uh, uh, he's a hell of a player. But I just, you know, it. And has he become the player everybody thought he would because of that makeup? I, I think that you know speaks for itself a little bit. What do you the think, best, Chris? The best players aren't. They're just not warriors anymore. They're not like. There were so many warriors in the game, right? If you think about what Nolan Ryan represented, like that dude was going <laughs> to take food off your table and he wasn't letting you take it off his. And, you know, would <clears throat> like bloodied. And like you just think of the guy that's like got blood and dirt on his uniform, Pete Rose, like style players. And Pedroia was probably the last representation of that, I think. I, 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 that's yeah. why I had so much respect for Dustin getting to play against him. And like, look, I played against Acuna in, in AAA, and I was just, it, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm old. I don't, I don't know. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm old. like, the guys I can think of now, like a guy like Adam Frazier plays for uh, for the Pirates, and nobody's paying attention to him, but just casually rolls out 330. You mentioned Fletcher. Like, I respect dudes that get so much out of their bodies like you were you were the epitome of this bobby here's a compliment here you go like you got the most out of yourself that you could like you figured out a way to be as good as you could be those are i think that's what coach is is alluding to and i think that's what i like too i mean are, are you telling me you had very little talent that's why yes. you, you just got that is that what you're saying i completely agree Hey, his first team all new england his freshman year in college in division one come on coach, every time Every guy's some credit. About a player. Hold on. Every time he calls me to ask about a player, I'm like, well, he's bigger than I was. He's stronger than I was. <laughs> I have to understand that. It's right. more power. I don't think he's a player. He goes, tell me something I don't know. So I, I obviously paid attention. I was very aware of what was going on around me, even before, like, this is like just like early internet, right? Like, year <clears> six of like me knowing how to actually like do dial up. And now I'm in college and I'm always plugged into the internet with an ethernet cord. So, I'm looking around, I'm reading Baseball America, and I get this Tewksbury kid at UDM, first team freshman All-America, first team All-Region, like what? And I'm like, man, this dude's a stud. So like, when I got to NECBL and played against him, like he was like my Northeast hero. He was the, you know, top prospect in the Northeast. And I'm like, and then I got to know him. I'm like, really, bro, this is it, this is you? But I always thought he was great. I thought he was a great player. And, you know, obviously we can joke all we want. You were pretty, you were pretty good, dude. You were good. I could play. I didn't have many tools, but I could play. 
The problem is when you can hit, nobody, like, you can't know if a guy can hit unless you watch him for, like, a month. And I always just say this to you, I can't do anything else. Like, I can do everything else okay. I can play defense. Like, I know I can play D. But when I play third, I get nervous and I'll throw it, you know, I'll throw it into the 18th row or whatever every now and so often. But when you put me at first, I can look the part. But I don't stand out. Like, there's nothing I do on a field that stands took, out. Took some money, money on defense. Any ground ball that I wanted hit and hit with second and third and two outs of a tight game, I wanted to hit at shortstop. So That's the best compliment you can get. That, 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 when you want that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You usually want a two hopper to your first baseman right next to the bag. Now, that would be you, Chris. That's the guy I'd want. Hit, hit, hit Chris the ball, two hopper, please. One step to the bag. You'd make that play every time, wouldn't you? Yeah. You definitely, you definitely don't want a fly ball to hit me to me in the outfield with the game on the line, though. I'm going to promise you. Yeah. Or like a curling fly ball, like a, a yeah. regular fly ball. Or, or one into the corner at Fenway down the left field corner with you out there, right, to end the game into the corner and you're going back there and you got people reaching out and, yeah, and yeah. screaming at you and calling you a traitor because you went west. Yeah, yeah. You got to make that catch. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> Bobby, I got to go meet a left-handed pitcher. Are we close? We're yeah. close. We're very close. Oh, you got one more? Uh, we got to do home run derby predictions. All right. Because this will air tomorrow, so. We'll I think the guy's going to have a – uh, Angels shirt on, I think an Angels shirt on. That's going to win it. She got Otani. He's having a yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness! They're going to throw him some shoulder high fastballs. He's going to just go whack. Yeah. You know, he's going to flick it 400 feet out. I am making my dark horse prediction. Matt Olson. Mm. Just cause I think he's going to take ridiculous BPs. The key to nowadays home run derby is who's going to run out of juice the fastest. Yeah, you're right. Like the minutes they, and stuff. They like get that. tired. Yeah, they get tired. Whoever has the easiest first round win is going to win because you know, ain't nobody going to hit like 79 homers. If Otani, I'm just curious. I, yeah, I'm curious to watch it. I, I wasn't going to watch it, but now I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'm going to, I don't like this pick, but I'm taking Gallo because I think oh, he, yeah. He's got the dumbest power in the in the whole thing. It's teed up for an Olsen Gallo semifinal, by the way. So is it? I mean, they have to beat Story and Mancini. So it's tough to go against Pete Alonso just because he's he loves it so much. He's such a competitor and he takes pride in it. But yeah. Yeah. I'm most excited to watch. Shohei. I'd like to hit some of the balls that they're being pitched. I'd yeah. like to hit those balls. Yeah. Just to see them fly because yeah. I think they're I think they're compacted so hard. They didn't put them in the humidor either. They're so, my, they're my first of the big things I went, this can't be real life. I was hitting ball. Like, I had light tower power in the show. <laughs> that's great. Anyway. All right, that's, we, we can stop it there. Coach. Left-handed pitchers are more Did you important have a story? You said you had a story. you have a story about me you wanted to share? Uh, I, you know, I, I was just told when you came out of high school that you'd never be able to play shortstop because that's what we were really looking for, shortstop. And, and the, your coach said, no, he's a second baseman. That's all he's able to play. So I don't know if you want a second baseman. I said, I, I think he's got the arm to play the other side. And he goes, no. I said, okay. Well, we recruited you anyway. And uh, a week into the – two weeks into the fall, Chris, I say, why don't you two flip-flop? And we had another kid at short that had a lot of show and a lot of stuff that, of course, you can tell I, I wasn't crazy about. And Tewksbury was just steady – mechanically sound, no flash, you know, just make the play. And all of a sudden it worked and 
off and running. We had a really good year, and Tukes was first team all New England as a freshman. Hit over four. Hit over four hundred, I think. Uh, in high threes. In high threes. Yeah, yeah. He got poor coaching the years after that because he never attained that again. But you know, he kept getting hurt, and you know, cheated in the weight room probably. But he uh, he was a, a solid player, and we made an easy, quick move, which I think. Uh, uh, made him uh, 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 one of the best college players in our conference in, in New England, certainly for, for those years. Well, but really everybody fun. else was seeing it too. It was so. really funny yeah. my alumni game. and He almost he almost got me in a fight. I got to tell this one real quick. He almost got me in a fight. We're down in Northeastern. He's got a bad thumb, so he can't play anymore. He misses like the last six games of the year. Is that right, Tukes? Six games maybe? He, yeah. he just tried to play through it just couldn't. One of those bad thumb tendon problems. Well, he's coaching first base because my volunteer coach couldn't come. I needed a coach in the dugout. I'm the only full-time guy, of course, on the staff. He's coaching first base. He's got a clipboard out there. And a guy from the Northeastern dugout is just abusing him, abusing him with a clipboard. Look at him. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's a fruitcake. Look at him. And he's taking a bunch of crap from him. And the coach, Neil McPhee, who's a friend of mine, but he goes out of control in the game. And, uh, he starts to get on the umpire about Tewksbury and everything is going at Bobby and stuff. And I finally had enough. So I step over, I go into their dugout and I point to him at the end of the dugout. And I said, we played against each other for years. I said, we never had a problem until this little shit at the end of the bench. And there's a little guy that never plays was chirping Tewksbury and getting everybody wound up. And I said, he's the guy that's created the problem. Not anybody else, not our guy, it's him. And, and an assistant yells at me from the other end. I go, hey, stop talking to coach like that. And I go, you, shut up. I'm talking to Neil, who I've known for 20 years. <laughs> and that kid just shut right up. And Neil understood where I was coming from. And But it was about Tewksbury almost starting a brawl. And remember, Tewks, the game was like tied right then. And then our one of our or probably our, our best hitter, Kyle Bro, hit a rocket back almost off the pitcher's forehead with two guys on, put us ahead. We end up sweeping them three games on that hit and right after that incident. And our guys were charged up. They were ready to brawl. They were ready to protect me because I'm in their dugout <laughs> screaming at everybody, but everybody in their color uni. And I thought for sure the assistant, the head coach, everybody's going to go at it. And I wasn't sure if my guys were going to be behind me or not. And, uh, and it all worked out great for us, of course. We've swept them, I think. And, and uh, Tukes got everybody really fired up. And you, had almost, a plan. you had a plan. That's why. Yeah, I, I think he had a plan. I remember having the clipboard because I was tucking it into my back. <laughs> I have no idea what I was writing down. I have no idea yeah. what I was doing. Yeah. Well, you're getting serious abuse from me. A little twerp on the other bench that never plays. And he was just all over you. And I had had enough. I remember I had your back. The clipboard. I had your back, Tooks. I had your back. I just hoping you were at mine if things started to go south and it was 20 on one. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, you know what? I thought you were going to tell the uh, the Stony Brook foul ball homer Ooh. story yeah. my freshman year. There was yeah. a controversial homer down left field line. You came out and argued and got so mad. And then after I went to the umpire, I'm like, yeah, I think it, I think it actually was. <laughs> yeah. I got kicked out of the game. And my son Bryce, my son Bryce was with us on that trip, and he was like seven years old, Chris. And I'm kicked out at Stony Brook. I'm way down in the corner, and I'm sending my seven-year-old kid in to tell the assistant coach, 
which pitching change to make and stuff. That's awesome. So, <laughs> he's going down. Dad says, Jimmy, get Jimmy loose. <laughs> he's, he's, and then the first base coach sees this after about three times in. He goes, hey, he's telling his kid he can't he can't do that. He's got to be out of And they tell my seven-year-old, hey, you got to go back and stand with your father in the corner. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and and this was in the seventh inning, I think, Tubes. The kid hits a home run. I swear it's foul. And I get kicked out. I'm going bullshit. And all of a sudden, Tukes goes that I think it tipped the foul pole, Coach. This And the game went like 13 innings. This was a seven-inning game. It went 13, and we lost. And I was all over the umpires the second game because I said, see, you had to umpire another seven innings. And, you did this to and, yourself, yeah. Yeah, you did this to yourself. So I don't feel sorry for you at all. I thought I was going to get thrown out again going into the second game because I was all over them <laughs> about that. Yeah, I should have put Tewksbury on the bus the second yeah. game after telling me he, he took the foul ball, Coach. What I understand is that you – I went like 7 for 11 that weekend now, so it's it good to You see. know who actually told me that, too, was Leif Eklund. He was the left fielder. Right? Leif? Right? Uh, it was – That would have been – was he there that year? I don't know. It was a left fielder. He came in and said, Coach, I think, it t- I, think I heard it tick the foul ball. After I got thrown out. I think it was not, like, what, I, not what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell me that back in Burlington. Later. Wait at the right moment. Way later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't strangle your kids back then. Like, you you know, you definitely can't now, but it was close then. <laughs> That's great. All right, gentlemen. All right, oh, it's good chatting with lefty you. Arm. We got to go lock in a lefty. Go get him. Okay. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks for Thanks for Good coming. to see you both again. And, uh, you know, you can always send the smart ones our way that can play. I'll be down to visit soon. I'm going to be in Connecticut a couple times. Next Anytime month. you're coming, let me know during the school year. And uh, I'd love to have you talk to our team or something. Of course, Tuke said he was going to bring his new apparatus and techno uh, swing and everything. He was going to bring it down here and show me it and work our team through it. But yep. you know how that goes. You know, Listen, got, we had a meeting this morning. He, he had a tight release on him and he just couldn't get away. I, I got you. And now he's in Austin, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. So No, no, no. He makes me do the work, so now I'm the trap. That's all right. That's all right. I'd rather have you, Chris, come down, because you could demonstrate at least, and he, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah that's what I'm getting for, that's for sure. I know.